And so in Romans chapter 1 this morning, uh, we're going to focus on verses 18 to 23. The title of the message this morning is Guilty as Charged. Guilty as Charged. Let me share with you a personal experience. Most of you probably have had the same joy that I've had experienced by being pulled over by a police officer. Anybody had that experience in their life? Uh, okay, so, you know, it, it's a wonderful thing. You're driving down the road, and you see the flashing lights in your rearview mirror, and that first thought in your mind is, well, they can't be pulling me over. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's got to be somebody else. It's got to be somebody else, right? And uh, he's got to be pulling somebody else in. And then as the officer settles in snugly right behind your vehicle, you realize you're just, your day got a lot worse right now. And so you pull over, you anxiously await the officer to approach your vehicle, you turn down the radio, you turn the key off, uh, you get out your driver's license, you get out your insurance card. As he approaches the window, uh, he politely but assertively asks for your driver's license and insurance card. Some of you are having flashbacks right now and you're starting to get hot, right? Uh, oh, that happened to me on the way to church this morning. And so, you know, the officer hands your, your information back to you, and then he asks the most famous of all questions. You've heard that question, hadn't you? <laughs> he asks the most famous of all questions. Do you know why I pulled you over? And it's at that moment when he asks that question that your mind goes to at least three different places. At least mine does. You know, the first place it goes is, yeah, you pulled me over because I'm speeding. And you admit it, and you own it, and you apologize, and, 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 and you just own your junk. And, and that never happens, right, by the way. Nobody ever answers that way. Uh, he tells you you were doing 59 and a 50, and you immediately say, I was on the phone with my mother, and I didn't see the sign change, and, and that was the God-honest truth. It was. I was on the phone. As a matter of fact, I said, Mom, I'll call you back. I'm getting pulled over right now. <laughs> Be careful. I can't get any more careful. I'm stopping. <laughs> you know, and, and the officer comes up, and, and he's like, do you know why I pulled you over? Uh, he didn't even ask that. He said, I got you doing 59 and a 50. And I said, well, thank you. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I did say I was talking to my mama. I did, and I was, and I could show him on the phone. So, you know, that's, that's one place. Honesty is just one place our mind goes for a second, and then we just say, you know what, uh, no, I can't admit it, because then I'm, I'm for sure going to get a ticket. You know, the second place our mind goes is you just play dumb. Uh, do you know why I pulled you over? No, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know why. Why? Why did you pull me over? You know, you just play dumb, and, and generally that doesn't work out too good either. And then the third place you go is just you outright lie, right? You know, uh, well, why did, I, why did I pull you over? Well, I know, I know why you didn't pull me over, because I wasn't speeding, you know? And, and, you know, they have reasonable proof, reasonable proof, and they have a nice camera, and then they also have this gauge that measures your speed. You know, you know most of us know what it's like to get pulled over with a ticket. By the way, I got out of that ticket. I got a warning. So just, just, for, just if you're wondering. Uh, most of us know what it's like to get pulled over, and the truth is, when we get pulled over like that, at least in the context of speeding, generally, before the officer ever gets to the car, we already know we're guilty, right? Now, turn your halo down this morning, but, I mean, we all speed, and the message ain't on speeding, otherwise we just give the invitation now, <laughs> all right? But we already know we're guilty, we just don't want to come to the, we don't, come, we don't want to come to the realization 
then we are guilty, right? And, the, and really, the only problem we have in a context like that or a situation like that is not that we were speeding, not that we were breaking the law. Generally, the, the problem we have is that we got caught. That's, that's our hang-up. Even guilt is not the thing that we're looking at. We, we just are upset that we got caught, right? And so in Romans chapter 1 this morning, you know, Roman, we're starting a section of Romans that's going to go from chapter 1 to chapter 3. And honestly, this passage in Romans 1, what we'll cover the next few weeks, is probably one of the most controversial and, and also probably condemning passages of the scripture as it relates to us and our humanity. And, and so I, I want to preface what I'm going to say this morning in the next few weeks by saying that these next few weeks will kind of be tough as we get into the word of God, because it, it really just shows us our guilt before God as humans. Okay, it shows us that, that we, on our best day, are guilty before a holy and righteous God. And, and, you know, the gospel is the good news, right? The gospel of Jesus Christ is, is the good news, but, but the gospel, only one part of that is good. The rest of it's bad, that, that we're sinners, that we're broken, that we've broken God's law, and, and we need a Savior, and we need to be forgiven. And so the, even the bulk of the gospel message is is negative, but, but we have to understand that because we have to understand that in order to be saved. When you, when you come to Christ, there's a reason why you come to Christ, and it's because you realize personally, I'm guilty before God. And for me, that was, the, that was the thing. You know, when I got saved at the age of 21, it wasn't that I got religious. It wasn't that I became a Baptist. It wasn't any of those things. It was somebody took the Bible and helped me understand that it was my sin personally that made me guilty before a holy God. And, and then on the tail end of that was, here's what Christ did because of that and how you can have forgiveness. And that's what made sense to me as a 21-year-old man, young man. And, and I realized my guilt before God and I received Christ's forgiveness for me. And so as we cover Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3, we're going to see that, that, that the world, that really mankind is guilty as charged before God. We're going to see that the Gentiles are guilty the Jews are guilty, Romans chapter 2, and the whole world is guilty, Romans chapter 3. And even if you're saved this morning, you don't check out on me because God's called us to share the gospel with the world. Your understanding of Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3 will help you better communicate the gospel to the lost. Because people need to understand, as Christians, we're called to share the gospel to the world. And many times we would even say, hey, do you... Are you saved? Do you want to be saved? And, and when we ask that question, a, a proper response to that question should be saved from what? What are you even talking about? And so we're going to get into that a little bit this morning. Romans chapter 1, it's on the screen. Look at verses 18 to 23. So the Bible says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without what? Without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but they became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image 
made like unto corruptible man, and to birds, and to four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Kind of a huge context or a huge chunk of passage we'll, we'll talk about this morning. And so in your notes, I gave kind of three main points that we'll talk about uh, and discuss this morning. Number one is, we're going to start with the bad news, right? The, the wrath of God. So God's wrath revealed, and we see that in verse 18. As Paul is writing this epistle to the Romans, he says in verse 18, that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in love. And you say this morning, Jay, man, I, I, I came to church today to hear about the God of love. And, and man, I'm with you. I'm all about the God of love. Trust me, because the Bible teaches that God is love. Did you know that? I mean, God is love. First John chapter 4 and verse 8 says, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is he is love. That's his nature. That's his character. Psalm 145 and verse 8 says, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, and of great mercy. And a lot of times when we think about God, that's the God we think of, right? The God who is love, the God that's full of mercy and that's slow to compassion. And he is all of those things because the Bible teaches us that. He is all of those things. But the same Bible that teaches us that God is love and that God is gracious and merciful and full of compassion, the same Bible also says that God has wrath, his anger towards sin. And so, you know, at this church, we can't pick and choose what we like out of the Bible and, and say, well, I like that, so I believe that. And, and the Bible says this, and I don't like that or agree with it, so scratch that. No, that's not the way we operate around here. We believe the Bible is God's word. And so all of it is for us so that we can learn. And the Bible that teaches that God is love also teaches us that God has wrath. And, and his wrath is pointed towards sin. And his anger is pointed towards sin. And his judgment will be against sin. And, and I'm just going to give you a few verses again this morning just to reiterate the point that God is both. He is holy. He is righteous. He's just. He's full of compassion and anger. Or, or, he is full of anger too. But he is full of mercy and graciousness. But he also has a wrath that one day will be executed against sin. And, and you don't want to be on the receiving end of that. And, and so we have to understand who is that toward and when will that happen, right? We want to make sure we're biblical in our understanding of God. So Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 10 says this, But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and an everlasting king. And so that gives you a little bit of insight into who God is. And the Bible says, in his at his wrath, the earth shall tremble, and the nations shall not be able to abide his indignation. And so again, the same Bible that teaches us God is love, it also tells us that he has a wrath. Nahum chapter 1 and verse 2 says this, God is jealous, and the Lord revengeth, and the Lord revengeth and, and is furious, and the Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserveth wrath for his enemies. And, and you would say, well, Jay, okay, I know you're pulling that from the Bible, but that's Old Testament. I mean, quit reading about the Old Testament angry, mad God, and give me the New Testament God full of grace and love and truth. Well, I, I appreciate you saying that, and so appreciate you thinking that. I already know you thought that, because that's the way I think, man. Give me the New Testament God full of, full of grace and truth and mercy, right? Well, well John chapter 3 is in your New Testament, right? Verse 36 Jesus himself said, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not on the Son shall not see life, listen to this, but the wrath of God abideth on him. 
And those words came from Jesus himself. Okay, so, so Jesus said it's really important that you believe on the Lord. And if you don't believe, the, the wrath of God is already abiding on your life. Colossians tells us, Paul wrote the book of Colossians. God wrote it through the apostle Paul. And in Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 to 7, he's giving us some instruction on how to live in a way that pleases God. And in verse 5, it says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. In other words, as a Christian, you should not have these things as a part of your life. Kill them, in other words. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And Paul warns us not to have that as part of our life because he says, For which things' sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. So God gives you a little bit of his reasoning as to why he executes his wrath against such behavior because it is sin, it's evil, it's wicked, it's unholy. And Paul says, you know, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. When you were lost, and I was lost, well, in our sinful nature, listen, we, we did all kind of wickedness against God. We're liars, cheaters still, and I know you have a higher opinion of yourself than I do, but, but God's got the, the right opinion of all of us. We're all sinners. Okay, three of us understand that. We're all sinners, so turn your halo down this morning. The reason you even got one is because the blood of Jesus Christ forgave you of your sin. So, so, so God, God's anger and his wrath and his judgment, you know, it, it's going to be revealed. It's going to be poured out. And, and if you go through Revelation, man, there's a lot of verses in Revelation that use that phrase, the wrath of God being poured out. So I put a key question in your notes. Look, what is God's wrath revealed against? What, who is God going to execute his wrath against? And the answer is in the same verse. It's in Romans chapter 1 and verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against, here it is, all ungodliness and unrighteousness of who? Of men. And so in your blank, God's wrath is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. God's, God's anger, His holiness is so holy that any, anything that is ungodly, in other words, that's not like God, well, it's, it's sin in God's eyes. And anything that is not righteous in God's eyes is sin in God's eyes. And, and there's a ton of verses I have. Let me, let me just read you a few of them, and then we'll go for time's sake. But in Jude, verses 14 and 15, you know, this thing of men being unrighteous and ungodly by nature. Uh, well, that Enoch, which is one of the guys mentioned in the book of Genesis, even Enoch, who was a preacher, by the way, you didn't, you didn't get that in the Genesis account, but you do get it in the Jude account. The Bible talks about Enoch, the seventh from Adam. He prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. And if we stop right there, we'd say, Man, yeah, I want to be a part of that. Verse 15, here's why he's coming, to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that they are ungodly among all of their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. You know, Enoch was a good preacher because he could alliterate four points using the letter, I, letter U, right? <laughs> ungodly men, ungodly deeds, ungodly committed, ungodly sinners. That's just who we are as, as humanity. And maybe you're here today and you say, well, I'm not that bad. Well, tell me how good you are. You're not that good either. 
you know, the Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 17, it's not on the screen, but just listen. The Bible says all unrighteousness is sin. Anything that's not righteous is sin. Romans 3 and verse 10 tells us that there is none righteous, no, not one. So man on his best day is ungodly and unrighteous, and our behavior proves that. Our, our language proves that. Our actions prove that. Our thoughts prove that. The truth is there's only one that's righteous, and his name is Jesus, right? I mean, I mean, the psalmist got it right. Psalm 92 and verse 15, the Bible says uh, that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is, uh, there is no unrighteousness in him. The Lord is the only righteous one. 1 John 2 and verse 1 John writes and he says, My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, listen, the righteous. And so God's wrath is revealed against all ungodliness and an all unrighteousness of men. And then in verse 18, go back to the Bible in your notes or in your Bible, look. These unrighteous and ungodly men, the Bible says, of whom they hold the truth and unrighteousness. In other words, they have God's truth and they don't respond rightly to it. These men are on the receiving end of God's wrath. They hold the truth and unrighteousness. In other words, the truth of God's righteousness was literally in their hands. They, they held it. It was something they, they had access to. It was something they, they were knowledgeable of. They had the truth, but they rejected it. They denied it. And, and, and this is why man is guilty before God. Because we have access to who God is. We, God has revealed himself, and, and we'll get kind of into the next point. When God has made who he is available to mankind, and man still rejects God. It's like me going down South Parkway, and there's a a sign that says the speed limit is 50 miles an hour. So the revelation of the law is clear. The speed limit right here is 50 miles an hour. And I'm blabbing on my phone and I see it, but I push right past that at 59 miles per hour, probably 62 miles an hour. I blow right past that. Knowing that that sign is there makes me accountable. It makes me guilty. And when the officer finally pulled me over, he said, yeah, that sign is right here. And he, and he told me exactly where that speed limit sign was. And I was like, yeah, I, I saw it. I saw it. I just owned it. Man, we have a problem because humanity, we have access to who God is. And, and God tells us that when we know him, we ought to respond rightly to him, which leads to our next point. Why is God angry and why is he going to execute his wrath and, and, and why is man going to have to suffer for his sin? Well, the second point this morning is because God's knowledge has been revealed. God's knowledge has been revealed to all of, all of creation. And so look at verse 19 because the Bible says because, and it starts with the word because, by the way, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them for God hath showed it to them. For the invisible things of him, of God, from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Here is why God's wrath will be revealed against ungodly and unrighteous humanity. 
Because God has revealed himself to us. How did God do that? One of the ways he did it is through creation. And so in your notes, look, God, here's a key principle. God reveals himself and has revealed himself through creation. We would call this general revelation. In other words, maybe you would say this morning, well, not everybody has a Bible. Not everybody has heard the gospel. How can everybody be accountable to know that there is a God? Right? I mean, sometimes we think like that. That's why we do missions. We, we do missions to get the gospel to the ends of the earth so that all may hear. But listen, even if people haven't heard the gospel clearly, and even if they don't have a Bible in their hand, God says that, that you can understand the invisible things of God through the creation of the world. In other words, if you're on this planet, you have access to God's general Revelation. I'm going to prove it to you. Psalm 19, verses 1 to 4. The Bible says, The heavens, listen to this, declare the glory of God. What declares it? The heavens declare the glory of God. And if you've ever looked up into the heavens, if you look into our sky, if you look into space, if you look at the sun and the moon and the stars, listen, those heavenly things declare the glory of God. And the Bible says the firmament showeth his handiwork day unto day. How many hours in a day? 24 hours. Some of you are like, wait a minute, uh, 12, uh, 6, uh, uh, 24 hours. From one day to the next day is 24 hours. Day unto day uttereth speech. And night unto night showeth knowledge. So every 24 hours in the heavens, on this earth, God's general revelation is available to any human and every human. It is the 50 mile an hour sign that is saying there is a God. I know you don't believe that yet, but that's okay. I believe the Bible. Verse 3 says that there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. You say, what about Africa, Jay, where we haven't gotten the gospel yet? Africa is on this planet, and on this planet, they have access to the heavens and to the earth. They have access to creation, and God's fingerprint, the creator's fingerprint, is on all of his creation. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them, he had set a tabernacle for a son. And so every day, every 24 hours, our period, there is a sermon being preached by creation. And see, Sunday morning just ain't the only time for sermons. And creation is preaching this sermon, and that creation is revealing some general things about the invisible God that you can know from creation. Let me just give you a few of them. The sun, for instance, the sun, and these aren't on your notes, but just listen. The sun is a picture or type of the Lord Jesus Christ. It represents Christ. Matthew chapter, or excuse me, Malachi chapter 4 and verse 2 calls Jesus Christ the Son, the S-U-N of righteousness. And so that Son, that big fiery fireball that, that keeps life on this planet possible is a picture of Jesus Christ. By the way, when the sun goes down in the evening, it goes down and as right before it goes over the horizon... Uh, generally, the sky is red in nature, and that going down 
of the sun on this planet is a picture of Christ's first coming and his death and burial. And as the sun rises the next morning, as that sun comes up, well, that sun comes up red, and it's a picture of the day star arising. It's a picture of the second coming of Jesus Christ. The sun is a picture of Christ. The moon in our heavens is a picture of the church. The moon is just a dead rock. And, and that dead rock follows the path of the sun. It, it rotates against or opposite the orbit of, of this earth. That moon has no light of its own. But it reflects the light of the, the sun. And, and that's a great picture for us of who we are as the church, the, the bride of Christ, the, 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 those that have been redeemed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, we are to reflect Christ's light to this earth. And the truth is, we're just a dead rock, man. And if you get up close to that moon, it looks nice and, and round and perfect from a distance. But when you get really close, it's got craters and it's pitted and it's beat up and, you know, there's stuff on it. I think we left some space junk there. So, you know, it's, if you believe that, anyway, I'm just joking. <laughs> we have some people that work in NASA here. That's why I have to joke like that. <laughs> But you know, that moon's a picture of us, and, and, and the truth is, any Christian looks really good from a distance till you get up close to them, till you know them personally, and then all of a sudden you're like, man, I thought you were just like the splitting image of Jesus Christ, and now that I'm a little closer, well, you got some problems. Don't we all have problems? We're just like that moon, man. We're beat to death, but we're called to reflect the light of Christ to this earth. And so, and so God tells us that we can understand his eternal power and even his Godhead from creation. And so let me give you the next point, because the, the word Godhead is the Bible term for the word Trinity. It's for the word Trinity. And, and the word Trinity is not in the Bible. The word rapture is not in the Bible. And there's other words that aren't in the Bible. But they explain a biblical concept. And so the Godhead is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And in 1 John chapter 5 and verse Verse 7, one of several verses that give proof to the Trinity in your Bible. The Bible says that there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are what? They're one. And so God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they are three, but they are one. You say, Jay, explain that so I can understand it. They are three, and they are one. And that's all I got. <laughs> and the truth is, that's all you got too, by the way. God is three, God is one. But let me, let me show you how God proved his trinity, his Godhead, through creation. You want, you want to learn a few of those things? I think they'll be helpful. Because God is a trinity, everything in this physical creation will always break down into a system of threes. Because God is three. God is three. And so let me give it to you. When God wanted to, to manifest his Godhead in creation, one of the things that he made was man. And when he created man, man was created a triune being. Man was created with a body and a soul and a spirit. He wasn't created with two parts. He wasn't created with four parts. How many was he created with? He was created with three parts, body, soul, and spirit. In our environment on this earth, we have land, sea, and air. 
There's three. There's not four. There's not two. There's three. As far as it relates to the, 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 when you learned in science class, you know, years and years ago, when you were in middle school, when they talked about the different kingdoms on this planet, well, there's an animal kingdom, there's a plant kingdom, there's a mineral kingdom. You know, any of you woodwork, anybody do any woodworking, you build stuff, what do y'all sit and watch Facebook all day? I mean, what do y'all do? <laughs> y'all don't do anything? Okay, so this might be why. <laughs> We struggle knowing God in the 21st century. Oh, good gracious. All right, well, if Walt was here, he would give me the amen. If you ever work with a piece of lumber, let's say a two-by-four, you know, that piece of lumber has three dimensions. It has three dimensions. It has a length, it has a width, it has a height. And if you take away one of those dimensions, that piece of lumber would cease to exist. It could not exist without those three dimensions of length and width and height, because even in dimensions, God has stamped the Godhead, the Trinity, in order for that piece of wood to exist, it has to have three dimensions. And without three dimensions, it does not exist. Colors, you know, in our, in our, in our understanding of color, there are three primary colors, red, yellow, and blue. There's only three primary colors. And then every other color is a secondary color or a tertiary color. In other words, a combination of those three primary colors. An element exists in one of three phases, either a solid, a liquid, or a gas. Atoms are broken down at, their, at, the, at the basic level of protons, neutrons, and electrons. You say, Jay, what about quarks? Because I read about that on Wikipedia. Well, I would say if you read close enough, you would find that even quarks are broken down into threes. Google that a little later if you want. You know, time cannot exist without a trinity. Time itself exists only because there's a trinity. There's a past, there's a present, and there's a future. And without it, time does not exist. And so listen, God, God has so preserved his character, his eternal power, and his Godhead in creation. God has so clearly revealed himself in creation Friends, that man is without excuse. Man is without excuse. Uh, you can ignore the sign, the speed limit sign, but it doesn't mean that it was not there. And you can ignore the stamp of God's creativeness and his Godhead in this universe. You can ignore it all you want, but you know there is a God. You know there is a God. You say, well, I'm an atheist. Well, biblically, there is no such thing as an atheist because the revelation of God is available to every person on this planet. The book of John tells us that Jesus Christ is the light of the world and he has lighted every man that comes into this world. Every man is accountable. Every man has a, a general revelation of who God is. And so God's wrath is going to be revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness and and God made his knowledge available to man, which leads us to our last point here. The truth is, many times man, when, when he has that knowledge, well, his true heart is really revealed. And so your third point for study is this. Man's heart is revealed, and, and generally it's negative, because man rebels against God. Look at verse 21 in your Bible. The Bible says in Romans 1 and verse 21, because that... 
when they knew God, the people that had access to his creation, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but they became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise. They became fools, and they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds and to four-footed beasts and creeping things. That's a pretty self-incriminating passage right there. And let me just say some things, again, with respect and, and not to be brash or, or an idiot. You know, I struggle with that, but I'm going to try not to be an idiot. Look, those verses we just read, people that knew God but didn't give God the glory became vain in their imagination. Listen, that is the most ugly and anti-human passage ever written. Like, like here's one way you know that God wrote the Bible and not man. Because man would have never put that in the Bible about himself. Do you understand me? Man would have never owned to the junk, owned to the, the reality, I know who God is, but I am choosing to reject his truth. No man would ever have said that. They would have said, well, I just didn't know. One of three ways you're going you're gonna to respond when you get pulled over. One of three ways you're going to respond to the knowledge of God's truth. And so... So you know that God wrote this Bible. Man would never self-incriminate himself. This is the most self-incriminating, condemning, revealing inwardly of man's heart that it is wicked and evil and sinful by nature. And it begins with a knowledge of God that was rejected. Hmm. So there's a few things that, that man does when he rejects the knowledge that God has given him. Number one, he becomes indifferent. He becomes indifferent. In other words, he didn't glorify God as God. You know, the, the more I read the Bible and the more I talk to people and the more I witness and the more I just grow in my own faith, you really know what the Bible boils down to. I'm going to give you one word. Authority. It's just authority. Who's God? And, and how you answer that question determines if you have a right perspective of who God really is. It's all about authority. And so listen, man that rejects God's truth, he, he knows God, he has a revelation of God, he has general revelation. He, he, we're not even talking about he has a Bible or which Bible or what church he goes to. We're just talking about man's heart, having a knowledge of God through creation and not responding rightly to that, to that knowledge. When he rejects that knowledge, number one, he becomes indifferent. In other words, they glorified him not as God. They didn't give God the glory. Now, your question needs to be, how do you give God the glory? We don't have time, but let me give it to you. In Luke chapter 17, there's a story about ten lepers, people that had leprosy. And these ten lepers saw Jesus walking by, and all ten of them cried out and asked Jesus Christ to, to cleanse them of their leprosy. And Jesus told them, go to the temple and, and show yourself to the priest. And by the way, if you had leprosy, you couldn't go to the temple uh, because you were, you were excommunicated because of your leprosy. And the Bible says as they went on their way, they were cleansed. And so Jesus healed all ten of them. The Bible says that only one out of the ten turned back, came to Jesus, fell on his face, and with a loud voice glorified God. Listen, 
giving him thanks. In other words, he gave glory verbally and humbly. He submitted himself. He fell on his face before Jesus. It was the right posture. It was the right praise. It was the right position. Jesus says in verse 17, and Jesus answering said, we're not 10 cleansed, but where are the nine? They're not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. Let me just make a point. You can have the revelation of God as a lost man and be indifferent toward God. You can have the revelation of God as a saved man and be indifferent before God. And let me tell you how you do that. You don't give God the glory. You don't give God glory. You don't open your mouth and give him glory when we give him glory verbally. You don't open your mouth and sing and give him the praise and honor. You don't fall on your face and humble yourself before the God of all creation. You say, well, I just don't like that song. Nobody cares what you like. God is God, and we are not. And and if you're going to give God glory, you're going to, to do it biblically with a proper position, a word of praise, and a proper posture, and a giving of thanks. I'm scared in our 21st century Christianity that we have, as saved people, become indifferent to the God of the Word. And we'll play church, and we'll come sit, and we'll tolerate it, and we'll make sure our blanks are filled out because, you know, Jesus is going to check that at the rapture. You can't get into heaven unless you got all your blanks filled in. But we become indifferent to the things of God. We become indifferent to the word of God, the preaching of the word of God, the praise and worship of the word of God, the humility before God, the praying to God. And you just try to keep convincing yourself that you're okay with God. Friend, you're not. You have the knowledge of God and your heart is revealed. Number two, man responds not only with indifference, but number two, he responds with ingratitude. And gratitude. And the Bible says in the same verse, they knew not God, they glorified him not, neither were they thankful. You say, why is that a big deal to God? Why is it a big deal to you? I mean, listen, any of you have children? Do you expect your children to, to say thank you for what you've done for them? I mean, listen, we teach our girls. <clears throat> we teach our girls, man, if, if, if something positive happens, if something good happens, say thank you. If somebody gives you something, say thank you. I mean, that's part of respect. But again, it goes back to our understanding of authority. You know, 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse verse 18 tells us, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And so in our our culture, listen, not only do we have lost people that are indifferent and, and ungrateful or have ingratitude, we have saved people that are indifferent and not thankful. How could you never not be thankful to the the one that bought you and saved you from the condemnation, from the wrath that's due you because of your sin? How could you not be thankful for that? How could you not thank God every single day for that? How could you not be thankful and express that? How could you not just sit down and be thankful for the food that God put on your table And, and your job and your health and your family? And listen, why don't you just thank him for the breath of life in your lungs? 
And why don't you thank him for your church and for your Bible? I really think God just kind of gets hacked off, quite honestly, with people that aren't thankful. You know, the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that in the last days, in other words, in, in 2019, men are going to love themselves. They're going to be covetous. They're going to be boasters. They're going to be proud. They're going to be blasphemers. They're going to be disobedient to parents, young people. They're going to be unthankful, and they're going to be unholy. We are here. That's our culture. We're indifferent. We're, we're, we're unthankful. Number three is that we have vain imaginations. Imaginations go in your blank. The Bible says their foolish heart was darkened. I don't have time this morning, but, but if you would study the word imagination through your Bible, it's never positive. God, God doesn't want to leave you up to your imaginations. By the way, your mind is corrupted and uh, you, you have vain imaginations and, and you can't trust what you think. You have to trust what God says. You can't trust what you think. You have to trust what God says. But, but when you reject God's truth, you become full of vain imaginations. You don't even think right because of how you responded to God's revelation in your life. Number four is that man becomes ignorant. He's full of ignorance. You say, what do you mean? Well, the Bible says that when a man has God's truth and he rejects it, that he professes himself to be wise, but he becomes a fool. And listen, we live in a city full of educated people. And I'm thankful for education. Man, I don't have a problem with education at all. We have a name for people that profess. They are professors. <laughs> and I'm just going to tell you that college campuses of the academic elite generally would profess themselves to be wise and yet are the most atheistic people and God-hating and God-rejecting people probably in our nation. There's not too many people that are just, you know, throwing it out there that I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, if you send your kids to college, and I'm okay if you send your kid to college, but listen, you better have raised them properly to where they have a living faith on their own because you're going to hear some gas bag stand behind a, a lectern and say that there is no God. Right. And somebody needs to stand up and say, you're a fool. Amen. You're a fool. With your professor professing self, self. You're foolish. You know, Psalm, Psalm 14 and verse 1 says, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Well, God says you're a fool. No, man, I'm educated. I got 16 PhDs. Well, not in God's economy. Because you have rejected the very general revelation that God has proven his existence with. You'd have to be an idiot. Actually, you'd just have to be a fool. The last thing is that God, when we reject God's truth, ultimately it lands us in image worship. Image worship, idolatry. We change the glory of God into the image of man. We change it into birds, four-footed beasts, creeping things. You know, you could change that to maybe mean helicopters, cars, houses, whatever. Okay? You know, we, we change God's glory from uncorruptible to incorruptible. And you worship the creation more than the creator. So I told you it was going to be tough sledding for a couple of weeks. I want you, I was honest with you on the front end. I, I want you to understand that this is why God's wrath ultimately will be revealed against humanity. But it didn't have to 
be revealed against you personally. And that all depends on how you respond to God's knowledge in your life, how you respond to, to God's revelation in your life. And, and let me close on a positive here because 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I love this passage. The Bible says in verses 9 to 10, you say, Jay, man, I'm never coming back. This church is preaching hellfire and brimstone. I don't think we preach hellfire and brimstone. I do think we preach the Bible. And the Bible tells us that there will be a revelation of God's wrath. But friend, that doesn't have to be against you. Verse 9 says, for God hath not appointed us to wrath. God didn't want to have to execute his wrath against any human. If you've been here on Wednesday night, we've been going through 1 John God loved us so much that he sent Jesus Christ to be the propitiation for our sin so that we can be forgiven, so that we don't have to experience his wrath. God made a plan. I mean, God rigged the system. He knew that he had to judge sin, but he said, you know what? I'm going to make a way out. I'm going to rig the system. You can beat the game. You can have forgiveness. God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, who died for us, that whether we wake or, wake or sleep, we should live together with him. I, I want you to leave this morning knowing that you can be right with God. If you're not saved, today would be the day that maybe you would consider realizing that you're guilty. God's revealed himself. And it's your sin that makes you guilty, just like it was my sin that made me guilty before a holy and righteous God. You say, Jay, how do I deal with that? Well, you come to Christ. You come to Jesus Christ, and you, you accept his finished work on the cross to save you from your sin. You can do that right now. You do it by faith. But maybe you're saved this morning, and, and, and this is where it gets hard, because we have already made the decision to, to accept Christ. We, we've wanted his forgiveness so that we don't experience God's wrath. But you know those last five things that I read? The truth is, even as a Christian, we can be those things. We can, we, can be, we can be indifferent. We can be ungrateful. We can be full of vain imagination. We can be ignorant in the sense that we think we are smarter than what we really are. I think God would just have us to turn back to him. Just like you turned to him when you got saved and realized that your sin is what made you guilty. Well, this, this is a believer in Christ breaks our fellowship. It breaks our fellowship with God. God doesn't want any of us to have that kind of attitude. And if you're indifferent to the things of God, if you're unthankful, if you're unholy, if you think you all got it figured out, man, and God's just a big idiot, well, I would humbly ask you to repent because he's not. And he loves you so much and he wants you to be right with him. All right? We are out of time. So I'm going to pray and dismiss us uh, but I'll, I pray that you think about these things. Come back next week. We'll have Mother's Day. After Mother's Day, we'll pick back up in our series in the book of Romans.